Welcome to Supply Circles, stories from the innovators, disruptors, and improvers in supply chain management today, brought to you by AI Group. Hello, I'm James Scotland, and this is Supply Circles, the podcast that asks the questions, how do we in Australia create resilient and sustainable supply chains at a time when we're implementing the challenges of the three Ds, digitalization in order to keep up with our peers and reduce our costs, decarbonisation, especially net zero by 2050, and ongoing disruptions such as pandemics, inflation, constantly increasing operating costs, uh, transport disruptions, product disruptions, industry disruptions. We're facing these three Ds of digitalization, decarbonization, and disruptions. So each episode, I talk to an influencer, an implementer, or an innovator in the supply chain to find out how we can better manage our end-to-end supply chain and our businesses. Today, I'm keen to discover the keys to managing the demand side of the supply chain equation. What are the keys to creating and managing the sales pipeline? Let's ask the question, how do we build and operate a reliable sales funnel that leads to purchase orders and successful supply? Over the last four episodes, I've chatted with a range of industry specialists to get the big picture of the end-to-end supply chain environment in Australia. It's been fun and the conversations have been fascinating. And thank you for your feedback and for your comments. But today I'm pleased to be back at the enterprise level, back on the street, back to where the rubber meets the road, back to where cliches flow freely. (laughs) My guest today is a business owner that not only manages sales pipelines for his own business, but he also helps and guides supplier businesses to do the same. My guest is the effervescent and the engaging Tim Wormsley. Tim is the CEO of a company called Benchon, a company that, according to its website, assists enterprise and governments to more effectively engage businesses and independent contractors. Let's find out what that means. And also let's find out about, the, about this great mystery for many, how to be successful at industry events at trade shows. What's the secret to success? And this is a timely question. In AI Group's recently released annual CEO survey, a majority of CEOs said they expected this year to be a year of high demand for products but also a year of significant supply challenges and increasing input costs, whilst also facing difficulties in actually increasing sales prices. This, of course, puts the pressure back on the supply chain and it puts pressure on the sales team to find the right customer at the best price. So securing and supplying your customer this year seems like it's going to be, uh, once again, a big challenge. Let's address the demand side today. In a few weeks, Tim and I will be at Avalon 23, a large defence industry trade expo that runs for a whole week as the lead-in to the well-known Avalon Air Show. Tim and his company, Benchon, have a unique approach to trade shows in the defence industry. So let's find out how he does it and how he manages trade show sales efforts to get actual sales. <laughs> that was a big intro. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's good to talk to you. Uh, I want to talk about trade shows and how to handle them. But uh, before we get there, what's Avalon 23? Have you been to it before? What's it all about? What are you expecting? Avalon is amazing. I've been a number of times throughout my career, both back when I was in the military, uh, when I was in defense industry, and now uh, running my own business. Um, It is the biggest air show or air-based conference 
for defense particularly, but it also it's a civilian-based um, air show conference as well. Um, it's the biggest one of, of all of the, the defense conferences. So you've got land forces, which is, is based on the ground uh, or army-based. Then you've got Indo-Pacific, which is Navy-based. And then you've got Avalon, which is Air Force or, or air, air and space-based. Um, they have these huge, big buildings set up. Three, I think there's three big areas that they've got um, all of the showcases in. Um, there is thousands and thousands of people, and it's right alongside the Avalon uh, runway. So they do air shows. You'll see joint strike fighters taking off. You'll see, um, I believe, the South Korean, what are they called, the Black Eagles aerobatic team. They're going to be there as well. So you've got all this aircraft entertainment going on outside, but then inside you've got just business people everywhere talking, networking, and and uh, being able to sell your business. So it is a must attend if you are in defense or if you're in aerospace. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. Sounds like there's a lot of big toys down there, boys' toys everywhere. Oh, <laughs> so exciting. And if you're lucky enough, um, some of the bigger companies have these chalets out on the flight line right. where they have, you know, great food, great drink, and it's literally on the edge of the runway and you can just see these aircraft taking off. Uh, and that is something else. So that's really exciting. I'll, uh, I'll be on the Defence New South Wales stand as part of my uh, contract with Defence New South Wales to run the Western Sydney Defence Supplier Network and they've got one of those chalets. And so I'm looking forward to hanging out there and seeing what, what life brings. But look, defence industry is in a funny stage, isn't it? Because we're still waiting for this defence uh, strategic review to come out. We're still waiting for the government to say how they're going to spend their money in the future. Will any business be done? Like, is, is everything just sort of saying, oh, we'll have to wait? Or is business still progressing in the industry? Yeah, well, strategic review is due out any second. Um, everyone's sort of waiting with bated breath. And ironically, the... DSR or Defence Strategic Review. Um, the idea of it was, given the changing landscape and how fast everything's moving, we need to be able to purchase faster. We need to acquire systems, put them into service, upgrade them faster, better, cheaper. Um, and the outcome of having the Defence Strategic Review has been that all businesses pretty much, all the major projects have just been stalled. So it's... <laughs> It's done the opposite because everyone in defense doesn't want to make a move now and then have this review come out and they go, oh, we're going this way. You know, so there's these major programs like you've got Land 400 um, that's been delayed by, I think it's 18 months was the decision that's been delayed. But uh, business hasn't stopped. Um, but, you know, the big, the big companies are still looking to, to pad out their supply chains. They're still looking to meet with SMEs. There are still contracts and projects happening right now. It's just, there's a, there's, you know, it's almost like defense is holding its breath for a second. And then all of a sudden, there's going to be more work than anyone can do at any one time. And, it, and it's going to be crazy. So, yes, there's a pause. But at the same time, this, this conference is actually perfectly placed for you to go make those relationships, uh, make everyone aware of your business so that when the hammer does drop, you're there. You're in the supply chains, you're getting the opportunities, um, and you can run as fast as you can uh, when all the opportunities start rolling out. Yeah, it's what I've been hearing, that the, the, the primes, the prime contractors, the people at the top of the food chain of, of supply are saying, 
when when it all starts to happen, which will be soon after the DSR is released, when it all starts to happen, we're going to need more suppliers. We're going to need more SMEs, particularly AMs, not just the small people, but the, the medium-sized enterprises. So now's a good time to stick your hand up and say to these people, hey, I exist and this is what my competencies are and get going. Let's pick that up in a minute. I want to talk to you about how you do that. But first, everyone that listens to the show always mentions that they like to hear about the guests. Tell me your background. How did, how did you become a business owner and what's, uh, what's your unique story, Mr. Tim? Yeah, so um, I was 13 years Army. Um, I worked in all of the, you know, the exciting sort of high-tech space in Army, so target acquisition radars, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance. Um, I was there when we introduced the first unmanned aerial vehicles um, into Australia, uh, and I was lucky enough to be able to, to take those technologies overseas to Iraq and Afghanistan. So, um, Unmanned aerial vehicles, the drones, is that right? Yeah, the drones, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, so I was able to do that. Um, I was injured. I have a, a back disorder. Um, so as soon as I got command, that sort of was diagnosed and I had to either accept a desk job or uh, jump out. So um, I jumped out into industry and started working for, for a US aerospace engineering firm, uh, which was a great company called Pacific Aerospace Consulting. Um, and during that time, I saw... I saw industry. So when I was in defense, I saw industry from the government side. So I was running projects um, for, for Army, um, $2 billion program called Land 19 to replace all the air defense missile systems. I then jumped out into industry and I saw how small business lives and thrives or, or you know struggles inside defense industry. Um, and I started to develop really good networks about how industry works. And looking at it with fresh eyes, I sort of realized that um, there was huge inefficiencies in the way that the industry operated. You know, huge peaks and troughs. Businesses were falling over just because they couldn't survive and wait long enough for projects to be announced. Um, big companies weren't being able to find the businesses they needed at the right time. So major projects were being delayed and we've all seen that in the news. Um, and then I sort of came up with the idea that, well, what if we could what if we could seamlessly link all of the workforce, all of the capability and intelligently match it to when and where it was required so that when you're in a trough and you've got too many resources, um, you can allocate those resources to where they're needed rather than just sit there waiting for someone to come to you. And that's sort of how Benchon was born. And um, so I was started Benchon while I was working at PAC. And then when it started to take off, um, I sort of went all in and sold the house and Started, you know, went into my own business, and that was seven years ago now. Um, and yeah, never looked back. What have you learned over the seven years of running a business? Is it a lot different from being working for a big consultancy? A lot different from working from from big defence? Yeah. Uh, what keeps you up at night? What's it like? Uh, I can say that um, things never happen as quickly as you expect. Um, and starting your own business is incredibly hard and it takes, I think, persistence. It takes arrogance. <laughs> it takes um, just an inability to give up and, uh, and a, an ability to spot the trends and, and try and keep ahead of those trends. So um, it's, it has been a hard journey and particularly creating something innovative. It, it was a slow start. Um, and COVID, when that happened, that was actually – really good for us because one you know every 
industries were shutting down, industries were going through the roof. There was huge peaks and troughs. So all of a sudden, our business model started to make sense. And two was everyone started to realize that we need we need digital solutions. We need to become more efficient. Um, and so that sort of turned the tables. And that that we were sort of what four four and a bit years in when that happened. And then it started to really take off from that point. So it took a long time to get going. We we're a bit ahead of our time, I think. And then uh, it started to kick off. But the things that keep me up at night really are it's at the moment it's about how do I scale to meet the demand that's coming? How do I how do I make sure that I'm delivering everything I need to for my for my users and my clients at the same time as without putting too much pressure on our financial situation and making sure that we're sustainable as a business. Um, because there's always that balance, isn't there? Do you, how risky do you go? Do you push everything into growth? Um, and then something like COVID happens and all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out from underneath you and you're stuck. Or do you, you know, keep a war chest there and, and move a lot slower? And I think there's a, there's a balance there. And that's, that's our sort of daily dance is how do we create that balance? and continue to grow. Yeah, and because you face that, that's why you talk about it so much with your, your users and your, and your clients, this idea about managing the peaks and troughs. It's sometimes called the sales pipeline. It's also called the sales funnel, where you have a whole bunch of context, contacts mm. that fall down into inquiries, that fall down into quotes, which fall down into sales. It's like this funnel approach. And the challenge is to have enough in the funnel um, to make sure they're dropping through at the right time, it's yeah. almost impossible to to do. So it's clear that you, it's clear to me from what you're saying that that you're trying to find a way to manage that peaks and troughs, that manage that funnel a little bit better. What have you learned? How do you do that? What's the what's the keys to trying to manage the uh, the demand against your capability? Yeah, um, it was interesting. So I built a business to try and manage the peaks and troughs for our users and what that meant was <laughs> we suddenly took on all of the peaks and troughs of our industries right so oh, no. when our users were when it was great for our users it was great for us and then when it wasn't it wasn't and what we've learned through it is um diversification is now not a nice to have it's essential uh, and if you right. think about it each industry is is in a peak at a different time each business within those industries is at a peak at a different time um, so diversifying your networks, diversifying where you operate and where you're looking for work um, across industry boundaries, across geographical locations, is that way to smooth that out. And your multiple peaks will start to align and you'll have, you know, sort of consistent business overall. And that's that's the premise of, of how we've grown Bench on is diversifying. So we started off in defense uh, because that's where I saw the problem. That's where the we developed a solution. Now we've increased into you know infrastructure. So we work with transport and main roads. We work with telecommunications. We work with mining. And when you know mining's in a peak, you know defense might be in a trough. And and all of a sudden you've got these engineering workforces that can be transferred across, um, or you've got products that can be transferred across and and demand. And that's how we can lift everyone up in one go. Um, so that's. I guess that's our lessons on how to manage the peaks and troughs. So if you're looking at a business and how to do that in your sales pipeline, how do you spread your wings further than normal? How do you, how do you connect with people? And, um, you know, there's the traditional ways, but the way that we've always done it with Benchon is, is to be able to connect you directly to the people who need you 
regardless of where you're located or regardless of whether you've marketed to them or not. And there's multiple ways that you can do that. Which is kind of the advantage of the digital workplace that you, or the digital platform that you're talking about because it's not geographically limited. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, so, you know, if I'm a project management firm sitting in Brisbane um, and I, you know, market to local Brisbane businesses about my project management staff, um, I'm limited to that very small market. Whereas you get on these digital platforms and you go, well, you know what? My people are happy to travel. So I'm going to open up my market. So I want to know anyone who's looking for my services Australia-wide. And then all of a sudden, anytime someone goes, hey, I'm looking for project management services, they're linked directly to you with no cost to you. So your market is exponentially bigger. And then you can then make the, the business decision on where do you, you know, when do you engage? When does it suit you to engage? Not, you know, just throwing all your money into ads and hoping for the best. Yeah. Talking about ads and things, what? Obviously, one of the things that the primes always say to us is that we don't know, it doesn't matter if it's a prime in defence or oil and gas or mining or construction, they say we don't know you if you're not visible. You have to have your, your capabilities and competencies known to us. Mm. In defence, they have a, a, a rather nice approach. It came from, I think, I know, it came from one of the big international consultancy, but the idea of a quad chart. I can't oh, yeah. which one it was, so I won't say which one. But the, some consultant come up with it, um, but the idea of a quad chart is is quite interesting. And whenever I talk, when I first came back into defence a couple of years ago, everyone was talking about the quad. What's the quad? What's the quad? And it's basically a matrix, isn't it, Tim? Do you, do you know about quads? Yeah, no. So it actually came from the United States military, um, and one of our generals went over there, saw these quad charts, and decided to bring it back. I can't remember when that was. I think that might have been the eighties. Uh, when they brought it back. But it is essentially your business on one sheet of paper and there's four quadrants. Um, and each, in each of those quadrants is um, the certain information that the defense person you're handing it to expects to see. So one thing about defense is they love things in a certain order, um, like mission statements or, or orders. You know, when military people give orders, it's always in the same format, situation, mission, execution, admin and log, command and sig. You know, you have those because you want to know what's coming up. You know, you're waiting for certain bits of information. You don't want to be caught by surprise. You know when it's happening. And that's the way that they've tried to do this with the quad charts. So the information they're getting from industry is in exactly the format they want. They know where to look if they're looking for certain things. Um, and, th- and that's really what it is. And it is quite unique to defense. I know it's used in a few other areas, but defense is, is very different. Um, a lot of the state governments will run uh, quad chart workshops that you can go to to learn how to do it. Um, but if you look it up, quad chart, it'll show you a template uh, and put one together and, and just, you know, it's there as collateral to, to hand over. What I like about it is two things. First off, as a business person, you should be able to describe your business this way. It should not be that hard. And the other thing that I like about it is that everyone struggles with it. And if yeah. you talk to a lot, a lot of primes. So I haven't seen a good quad chart for years. I've seen lots of them, but no one gets it right. So it means that we're not thinking about our business uh, in, in a way that we can sell it easily. And yet that's our point. Maybe we're not having as much success because we haven't got this type of thinking clear. Yeah. And, and defense is different in that way. You know, your competitive advantage, you need to put it inside the defense context and the defense culture. Um, I always say, 
defense, if you're not here for the end warfighter and you're not here to make sure that we give the best capability and the best support to the people on the front line, defending our country, then you're in the wrong industry. And if you look at it from that, that's framework, okay, where do I fit in and how does my business contribute? Um, and what are the unique ways that I can contribute? And if you put that then down on paper, that will resonate with the defense people you're talking to. Yeah, but that's similar across a lot of supply chains. And LNGs can't afford to have a big explosion. It's really bad for business if, yeah. if a pipeline blows up or something. Yeah. Uh, and it's not, it's not good if a building falls down. I mean, it's the same as everywhere. You've got to think about the industry you're in and how you're adding good quality value. I think the, I think the quad chart's a good, a good, good tip. And I think, yeah, look it up and, and see what, um, see what it says. Do you do much else? Like, in, um, web page, do you, you know, like suggest that people do social media or is it personal contacts, mail outs? What's, what's your sort of views on the best way of uh, accessing your marketplaces? Yeah, we've, uh, we've got to this point now without any real marketing. Um, we've focused in on, uh, word of mouth and referrals, uh, because we target, you know, the, the users of our platform are really the enterprises and the government agencies who've purchased the, the industry portals on, on VentureOn. So we're not sort of, we not have mass market-wide appeal. So in the early stages, as we were growing, we put more of our money into the tech and less money into marketing. So when, you, when we looked at that, it was like, okay, how do we do word of mouth? So making sure that our customers are so happy with it that they tell others. Um, or that it becomes an example to others. Um, we use channel partner effects. And, I, you know, if your listeners are, are interested in that, that's essentially, you know, you get one customer and then that customer brings in a whole bunch of additional users. So for us... No, multipliers, yeah. Yeah, multipliers. So when we won the tender to supply to transport main roads, then every company who's interested in transport main roads tenders and opportunities would sign up to the platform and they then become part of the, the bench on ecosystem. So it was a way to drive thousands of businesses onto the platform without me having to you know, do tens of thousands of dollars worth of marketing on Facebook to try and capture these small businesses. So that's a channel partner effect, and that's been very successful for us. Um, but also, you know, having a supportive network and using things like industry bodies, like AI Group, and I'm, I'm not giving you the plug just because I'm on your, you know, podcast. But, uh, yeah. but yeah. Feel free, feel free. Yeah, 50 bucks later. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh, You always say cheap, Tim. It's always good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, uh, industry bodies, uh, the introductions that are made, you, you know, I've had so many times that someone from AI group will ring me and go, hey, I was just at this event. I was talking to this person. I've told them about you. Can I make the introduction? Um, and those introductions are worth gold, you know, because they're, they're warmly introduced. They've come from someone who recognized that you had a problem that this thing could solve. Um, so I, I really really value industry bodies um, and or getting in supportive networks, like going to regular networking events where people know you, trust you, you're not there to sell them all the time, but they're the people who will refer you on. Even if they're not your customer, they'll refer you on when they hear that someone has your the problem you solve. Um, but certainly social media. Um, we don't use any other social media other than LinkedIn because, you know, over over a long period of time, we recognize that, we're very business focused. Um, so LinkedIn is obviously the business focused social. On Facebook, we found that, you know, the CEOs and all those people we want to contact, they're there to 
to look at their kids' pictures and to follow, you know, their old school friends. They don't want to deal with work. Um, so it didn't suit that. And we don't suit Instagram because we're not a very photogenic type of business. And we're certainly not going to be on TikTok doing dances. You know, it's all in LinkedIn. We want to have professional conversations and we want to share what we're learning. And I think putting out regular content that teaches people and educates people on, on the things that you know about um, is a really good way to, to generate um, good corporate responsibility as well as, um, you know, a lot of followers that will, will start to keep an eye on what you're doing and what your business is doing. Let's go to a break. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, uh, trade shows and networking events and, and whatever. Whilst we're on the break, we might just think about you and me doing a TikTok dance. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no. If you have supply chain or business improvement challenges, contact AI Group's Business Improvement and Growth Hub. The Big Hub is a library of practical and relevant resources designed to assist member businesses to grow and improve. The Big Hub also includes an extensive network of experienced, pre-qualified business improvement consultants. For more details, contact big at aigroup.com.au. That's big at aigroup.com.au. I'm talking to Tim from Benchon, and we're talking about creating a sales pipeline that's effective. And in particular, we're now going to talk about how we go to these trade shows and make them worthwhile. I, I think probably everyone, certainly I have the, the painful experience of going to a trade show, working for long hours, walking 20,000, 30,000 steps every day, and not getting much out of it. It's been a bit of a waste of time. So, Tim, give us some insights. How do you make sure? That there is a good, good, good trade show or a good industry show. How do you how do you frame what you're trying to get out of it? Yeah, there's there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. Um, like you said, you don't want to have it be that it's a waste of time at the end. But it is firstly, it is a really demanding week. You know, like you said, so many thousand steps a day. You're on the floor all day talking to people. Then you go to networking events all night and then you start all over again and you do that for three or four days in a row. It can take it out of you. I said to someone, what's the key to Avalon? And they said, wear, wear comfortable shoes. Yes, don't wear high heels. Oh, my God, I see this happen all the time. They wear these really big high heels and um, you know, and then you see them walking around barefoot later on. <laughs> um but, and, and I get this all the time, my wife used to go, oh, look, you're going down to play with your friends for three days and, and drink at night and you're just going to have a blast and you go, but you don't realize how much it actually is. It's like running a marathon. Like it just, you're exhausted by the end of it. Um, so making sure that you plan your time out, that you know when you need to be on, when you can rest, because rest is quite important throughout the week as well. Um, but you need to go there with a plan. So what we do is before we go there, we make sure all of our marketing and our brand collateral is on point and tailored to the event that we're going to. There's no point having... So you, ta you, tailor, it. you tailor it to that event, do you? Yeah, exactly. Like talk, the, the way they say it, you, know, you should be talking about their problem and, and how you can solve it rather than just selling your product. And you know, even if you look at different conferences, the, the problem at Avalon is different to the problem at Land Forces and the problem in mining is different to the problem in defense. So uh -huh. Uh -huh. tailor it. Think through the company you're going into, who you're going to be speaking to, and make sure that it's all consistent. 
Uh, and then make sure that your website is up to date, you know, that you've put time into it, you've put news articles on there that are relevant because if you do succeed in, in catching someone's attention, the first thing they're going to do when they get back to the office is go to your website and have a look. So make sure that's up to date. Um, so all of that sort of marketing and brand stuff is important. Um, push out the fact on social that you're going. Uh, and that's a really good way to through your networks to let people know you're going to be there and people start to reach out to you and organize events or you start to get um, invited to social events or like to the chalets or at Avalon, you know, people will invite you to things. So that's a really good way to, to get new opportunities. And then the big one, and I'm, I'm shocked at how many people just overlook this, practice your pitch. Practice your ability to do a, an elevator pitch uh, and to be able to sell your business in 30 seconds or less uh, because you and make it tailored and make it tailored to that, to that, that, that event. So right. Practice the, practice the pitch, but make it very tailored. Yeah. yeah. Practice it in the mirror over and over and over again to the point where it just rolls off the tongue. You don't have to think about it. And then when someone's at a networking event or you're standing at a booth and they go, Hey, what does your business do? You can go, well, actually boom, into your elevator pitch. And then the idea of the elevator pitch is throwing that line out with the hook, right? You, you want to hook them to the point where they ask that next question. And then once they ask the next question, great, you can move on from that point. But if you haven't nailed the elevator pitch, they do the, oh, that's interesting. Okay, look, I've got to go to my next meeting. And, and all <laughs> you realize I didn't hook anyone then, you know? So take time. Put, put effort into your pitch. Um, the last time that uh, I had a defense person on the show was, uh, from defense, uh, defense seals and, and spares, and I met them, and they said, uh, "Who?" And I said, "Who are you guys?" And they said, "We're uh, from defense seals and spares. We sell seals and spares, and then we then we get spares to defense." I went, "Go right on, got it, right on, yeah, okay." And then and then when we started talking, they, I mean, like 200, 200 kilogram seals and all sorts of stuff, like big stuff with for submarines and things like that. But it was just such an engaging pitch, you know. Here's what we do, and it's, there's a bit of a joke to it, a bit of a like a engaging one because I'm hearing twenty in a row. So it's nice to hear one that just captures my my imagination. And they had obviously practiced it. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. You are there among thousands of small businesses all vying for work. So put yourself in the mind of the person you're listening to. They've heard it all before. If it's just the bland old, oh, this is what we do, and you know. Um, but yeah, the other one. What do you think? What do you think about about uh, if there's a really good trade show coming up? If you're in defence, Avalon's a big one. Should I have a booth or should I try and share it with you know, with Benchon or with with AI Group or whatever? Or should I uh, just walk around and try and meet people? How do you make the decision for that? It's a, it's a difficult one. Do I need to be engaged in the industry? Yeah. It's, it's a difficult one depending on the type of business you have. Like if you have an innovative product, then I recommend a booth, you know, because you want to showcase people what you're doing. Everyone at these events loves to see exciting little, you know, little things that they can play with. Um, we were lucky enough to share the Hayes stand at Land Forces and right next to us, there was a, there was a rifle range like built in onto the stand and people could go in and fire this weapon. And oh, so- that was awesome. I went to that. That was great. Yeah, so that was fantastic, and people love that. So anything innovative that you can put on there to, to draw people to your stay uh, to your stand to look at whatever innovative product you have is great. If you're in consulting, unless you're a hugely successful consulting firm, then my recommendation is do not get a stand. You should be walking the floor and talking to people. 
Um, and if you can only afford one of the small stands in the corner, then you need to put a lot of effort into making sure that you've organized meetings for people to come to you because, you know, the back corners in those small little alley areas, the, the, the foot traffic is, is hard to come by and you really want it to, to pop, you know? So I've seen really good success with people going on the state stands. You know, all of the states have their own stands. And then on those stands, they have room for sort of 10 or 15 little, you know, little tiny stands for businesses to do. And so, yeah, so I've seen people have a lot of luck with the um, the state stands and being a part of those. So the state has a number of different um, positions on their stand that people can purchase. And the reason they're so successful is... Uh, one, all of the politicians and the big decision makers in the industry will be organized to come through the state stands. And that's done by the state representatives. So you are guaranteed that you will have people coming to you. Uh, and then when they're there to see one thing, you know, they'll see yours as well. Or, you know, they might be there to see one innovative business. And then the state government's there to go, well, have you seen these guys? And, you know, they direct them over to you. And that's how you get um, some good exposure. The big stands are really expensive. When it comes to defence, it's always fun because the you know like the Minister of Defence turns up or the State Minister for Defence, and with them is so much braid. There's all, <laughs> there's all these senior senior defence people who aren't necessarily decision makers, but it's impressive to see all this all this braid walking around. <laughs> yeah, you get people following those groups because they just want to be near whatever exciting thing is happening. So they and they will they will end up on your stand just to be close to you know, that politician that's there. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, but, yeah. But they are, they are pretty com- competitive. Uh, the, the the state stands, you've got to apply for uh, to get a stand amongst the other state businesses who are applying. Yeah. Uh, but they are, if you get it, it's better than the ones down the corner, quite probably. They're locked The other one you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then there's the big stands, which are, are just super expensive. Oh. I was talking to someone the other day and those big prime stands, you know, you're talking up to a million dollars, you know, just to have a stand um, with all of the fit outs and everything there. So, yeah, small businesses just sort of, you know, take it take it based on what, what you think uh, for your own business, I guess. I really like walking around and just going to the big stands, talking to people, you bump into other people, you just keep, you know, let's just keep talking, talking, talking. But I, I, I reinforce your point about make sure you've got your elevator pitch because you only get one chance. That's right. Someone will say, what do you do? And then you just have to be able to say, in the time they have available to you, which is hardly anything, within a, in a very short period of time, someone they know will come up and say, hey, Tim, how are you doing? And you'll lose them. So you've got to give them that short, sharp, memorable, here's my business card, here's what I do. Yes. Yeah, that's right. What about the networking events? Do you, how do you work in networking events? I reckon they're the the best part of the whole week. Um, now, <laughs> you, they're, they're, there's heaps of them on. Um, some are better than others, but um, even though your, your business conversations during the day will will happen at the conference at night, that's when you develop those relationships. That's when you develop that trust, and that's how you become memorable as a person. Um, because, like you said, thousands of businesses all giving their pitches and things. But then, if you spend a night. At, at one of these social events and you're there and you get along really well with that person, that person now remembers you and you've got time to reinforce what your business does and that'll stick with them. So becoming memorable is key and mem- you know, the, the, the social events are how you do that. Now, have a great time. Just don't go too far. 
you know, when, no. mm. when we're in the military, you know, there was people who are, you know, staying out until three, four o'clock in the morning and then having to back up the conference the next day. And, you know, with the amount of expense and opportunity you've got there, you want to be firing on all cylinders. So go out, have a good time, um, you know, get back in bed with enough time to get some rest and then get back out to the conference the next day. But definitely find out where the social events are, who's going to them, who are the decision makers and get an invite. Like, for example, like, always good advice. Yeah. Always good advice. And I'll take that advice one day. Honestly, I will. Yeah. I, will. <laughs> <laughs> um, I interrupted you. you look, Rev, the, the thing about Ben Sean and what in, intrigues me is that you've got a completely different approach to all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Everything you just said is 100% true. But you have an innovative and a, um, a whole new way of matching, basically. Is that, is that right? Well, so the, the platform itself is designed to match small business to primes and, and governments and, and win them more work. But, you know, how do you showcase that in, in, a, in a conference environment? I mean, I can, have a, I can have a picture of what the platform looks like, but instead what we decide to do is we decide to let's show the effect, like let's do this manually. And, and we run a, a Meet the Primes program where we introduce the, the primes to the SMEs and, and connect them up so that they can start working together and, and win work off each other. And there's no, there's no cost to be a part of that. We don't do it for any other reason, and that's why we do what we do on a daily basis. But um, for us, that's a really good promotion, I guess, of the brand and what we stand for. Um, and and that's that. so we run this free event for them, and, and that that is, I guess instead of us getting a booth or instead of us, um, you know, paying to, to advertise, that's the sort of thing that we do. And I think that generates some goodwill. It generates more understanding of what our platform does and, and it also increases our relationships. Um, so, so thinking up sort of out-of-the-box innovative ways that you can sh- show people what you do and why you do it, I think that's that's a, a way to go. What's the key to follow-up? You know, so I get back to my, uh, I get back to my office after a week of being away, I've got 40 business cards there. My mind's a mush. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My feet are sore. <laughs> what do I need to do? What, is it just an email or, or should I, um, you know, reach me them? Or how do you kind of follow up? Because everyone's following up. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing to know is no one is going to get back to you the very next week. You know, everyone is exhausted from the event. They go home. They've got to catch up on their work that they haven't done for the last week. Then they've got to go through their own follow-ups of, of you know, the buyers that, that were coming to them. And then after that, they're thinking about you and how you can help them, right? So you're the lowest down on the food chain. Um, one thing I would say is take, take a notebook. Or, or use your phone, whatever it is. But after every single introduction where you've had some sort of a meaningful d- discussion, write down that person's name, write down the business, write down where you were when you met them, because that'll be key to help triggering your brain. Because like you said, your brain's mush. And then write down just a couple of key points about what you talked about. Um, and then I would say midweek, the next week after, that's when you follow up. Hi, really great to meet you at this point. We discussed this and uh, we had talked about catching up at some point. I know you're really busy following up, but maybe at the end of next week or the week after, we could meet up for a coffee, you know? And so you've got to remind them who you are at the same time as sort of seamlessly transitioning that into what you want out of it. Um, But yeah, email is good. Follow-up, you might have to do one or two follow-ups because as I said, they're all very, very busy. And then after that, that's when you follow up with a phone call. 
So give them time and then follow up with a phone call. Don't ring them on Monday the next day after the conference and expect any type of sort of happy result. Lastly, Tim, one of the great opportunities for me at these things is not just with your buyer or with a potential buyer, but it's also with peers because there's an opportunity for alliances, for Mm. increased capability, increased competency. I get to meet someone who might be able to do that. How do I do that? How do I figure out? Who I should be talking to and who are the tire kickers? <laughs> yeah, well, um, one of the best so, – so one of my mentors in defense industry, the best thing he said to me was, you need to go into these things curious. Don't just go there going, I'm here for contracts. That's all I care about. you know. And you meet someone who's a peer and you go, oh, are you going to buy my stuff? No, I'm moving on. Like I don't have time. You know, Be curious. Find out what people are doing. Um, because I've seen plenty of times where you have widget A, you meet someone who has widget B, and then you realize, well, if we put this together, that's a whole completely different solution, which opens us up to a whole different market, you know, and, and it can create new opportunities you never knew existed. Or you just happen to find a business that has something that completely counter, counteracts the weakness in your own system, uh, and it can make you stronger. So definitely do that. But that, I think this comes back to the, you know, that supportive network. Peers are always happy to refer peers. And if they understand what you do, they will do that. Um, so so take the time. Be curious. Understand what people do. Don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk in business. Um, and, and that's how you'll, you'll start to build your profile. Um, but, yeah, look, in, particularly in defense, and I keep going back to this because this is obviously what Avalon's about, but small businesses often join forces to try and win larger bits of work, um, particularly in the more innovative spaces. Um, so. So getting to know all of the, the SMEs in the area and what they do is a good way for you when that opportunity comes down the pipeline in a month's time to be able to go, I'm going to ring that company I met because I think this is an opportunity for the two of us or the three of us or whatever it is. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's one of the real keys to these things because the people who are doing the same thing as you, you know, chasing the same work, but might be slightly uh, aligned with you, but mm. not, not competing with you, they're at the same place. So talk to them, find out what they do. And, and make connections, and uh, next thing, your business has got greater capability, greater capacity. That's this right. has been a great chat. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's good. Uh, it must be frantic getting ready for for Avalon. Uh, it's it's about a week or so away. Uh, what uh, what what do you personally think you'll you'll get out of this sort of trade show or industry expo? Um, the so the meet the primes is our focus, uh, but that's only on the Thursday. So the first three days, um, I'll be meeting with select uh, primes that that we're hoping to to get on board. Um, but the rest of the time, I'll be going around. I'll be learning about the industry. I'll be learning what's happening uh, and who the new players are. Uh, and so my focus this week is brand awareness for us, getting our name out there. It's a small amount of BD, but the rest of it is just um, education. And, and making sure that I'm up to date on what's happening. So um, my, my recommendation to anyone that's going is take the time to go to all of those briefs, all of the events that are happening, because the things that you'll learn will be the cutting edge latest stuff, and uh, it means that you'll be as up to date as possible. Yeah, they're good presentations. I've got, I'm listed together, a number of them, I'm really excited. Although I'll probably get distracted by a big shiny toy there, and I'll be sitting there <laughs> going, what the hell is that? Yeah. So when you walk past, when you walk past me and I'm staring at something, just you know, push me along, say <laughs> stop, stop gazing at whatever the hell that is. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's been good having you on the show, Tim. Thanks, Thank James. you for your time. No, I appreciate it. Uh, and that's a good place to finish. Uh, all the best, Tim. Enjoy Avalon and and all the best for the the year ahead. 
Uh, that's it for another episode of Surprise Circles. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Thanks for your feedback uh, and, and your thoughts in the last few episodes. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. If you do have any thoughts on today's uh, interview or ideas for the show or just want to give me some feedback, hit me up at uh, james.scotland. That's one T, same as the country, james.scotland at aigroup.com.au or at my LinkedIn page, as, uh, as Tim said. We'd love to hear from you. Before you go, hey, listen, if you have trouble with your apprenticeships and traineeships, why not contact AI Group's Apprenticeship and Trainee Centre? With over 15,000 apprentices and trainee placements and thousands of engaged businesses, AI Group's ATC has a proven track record of success. They know that for many employers like you, choosing an apprenticeship uh, choosing an apprentice can be a bit like taking a stab in the dark. It's tough to get it right, and it's expensive if you get it wrong. So AI Group's Apprenticeship and Training Centre provide a rigorous selection process to ensure a good fit with your business. And the way they manage apprentices is designed to ensure you get a return. Think of it as a placement that delivers productivity. So if you're looking for a hassle-free apprenticeship and trainee process, contact AI Group's Apprenticeship and Training Centre on 1300 761 944. That's 1300 761 944. And that's it for another episode. We'll be back in a fortnight with more insights into the keys for building sustainable supply chain. It's been great talking to Tim today. Thank you for your company. I'm James Scotland. Bye for now. <laughs>